Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. It's not the new me at all. This is the old me that was always inside. I actually nearly died. I thought, how kind of the stranger to actually do something like this. There's 19 shops empty on Oliver Funk Street alone, PJ. And it'll be number 20. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 Two places I'd love to have been over the weekend. One was Rome and the other was Vegas. Now, with Vegas, I saw you two probably in their very earliest tours. I saw the October tour. I'll tell you how long ago that is. They played the City Hall, lads, for goodness sake. I can take or leave you two. But from what you read, I want to go to see this show in the sphere, if only to see this astonishing new concert venue, which is like 3D. And they project stuff on... The, there's fabulous pictures in your papers and on your socials. Over there. And the other place was Rome. I was glued to the Ryder Cup. I mean, glued to the damn thing. There was, <laughs> there was a little bit of worry going on yesterday afternoon that we might not, for, a minute, for an hour or two anyway, we might not win the damn thing. But they did, and it was fantastic. It was really, really great. Um, brilliant event. And I I remember years ago, Rory gave a, an interview. He was a much younger man, and he kind of dissed the Ryder Cup a little bit. Um, but but now, sure, he's he loves it. You can tell it from his voice. And he was crying two years ago because he played awful and... The, the team generally fell apart two years ago and he was crying yesterday on the 18th green because everything had gone so well um, fabulous, fabulous if you if you enjoyed it over the weekend then, then I'm glad you did good morning 0818 96 96 96 the number of the text to whatsapp is 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie we need to start this morning though with something very serious and very dark and very real. Um, there was a court appearance at the weekend by a teenage boy. He was charged with the murder of a woman called Laura Woodnut in County Offaly. She was in her 40s. She died on Friday afternoon. The teenager was brought before a special sitting of the district court in Tullamore on Saturday. And evidence was given of arrest, charge and caution. He was remanded by Judge Andrew Cody to appear at a or to be at a youth detention centre in Oberstown and to appear again by video link in court at 10.15 on Wednesday. And that is the end of what I'm allowed to tell you because very severe reporting restrictions have been imposed here. Judge Cody actually rose for a while um, during the sitting on Saturday night to check the law on these things and under section 93 of the Children's Act he said that already applies to the case but there is a video circulating of which you will have heard and which seems to have been shared hundreds if not thousands of times I haven't seen it I don't want to see it and I don't want it anywhere near any of my devices 
for the simple reason that sending me this video now, and I did hear from someone over the weekend who had it and asked me if I wanted to see it. I said, no, thanks. This was, but sending me this video now or sending your pal this video now could land you in jail. Because Judge Cody has been very, very strict on this. There are reporting restrictions that apply to the case. But they also go beyond the newspapers, go beyond radio, go beyond television, and they go beyond online. Sharing this video in any way, even WhatsApping it to somebody else, is a criminal offence which could land you in prison and land you a fine of over €12,000. And Judge Andrew Cody does not sound like a man to be trifled with from the reading of the newspaper reports on Sunday. And in fact, so strict are what he applied, the rules he applied on Saturday night, so strict are they that even some of the Sunday papers subsequently took down their news copy to make sure it was within the rules, as it were. But that video, um, which has been going around, Snapchat is where it started. It flew around Snapchat like wildfire and then went to every other platform. It is now, and I say again, a criminal offence to share that video or to cause it to be shared, as the law likes to put it. But one wonders if there's anything you can do when there must be thousands of copies of it out there. Um, it's a horrific thing to see. I might start with you, Ronan Murphy, by asking that from SmartTech 24-7. Ronan, there are thousands and thousands of copies of it out there. It's impossible for the judge to police them all. But this is a very, very loud shot across the bows. Do not share and delete if you have it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, number one. It's very disturbing content. So, um, I, 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 you know, sharing it in the first place is 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 morally uh, a terrible thing to do. But um, it, the the answer to is there anything you can actually do about the thousands of copies out there? The answer is no. Mm. I mean, once 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 that genie is left left out of the bottle, it can't be put back in. You know. So mm-hmm. it's uh, unfortunately it's out there mm. for the rest of time. We know it began on on Snapchat, but. It's gone to every single platform now. Judge Cody really can't stop any platform or force any platform to delete all copies of this. And it would be impossible to delete them anyway. No, it's impossible. Look, even if it's sitting in in applications like WhatsApp, it's encrypted and it's it's within you know it's impossible to take it down. People don't have access to that data that's sitting in that application. So. You know, as I said, once that genie is out of the bottle, okay. it's well and truly out and it can't be put back in, you know. Okay, we'll draw a line under it there for, for obvious reasons, Ronan. In general, there's some horrific stuff out there that people are sharing and that our children can come across. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, the content, obviously, on the internet. We all know um, there's some really disturbing stuff out there. And there's websites that uh, openly build their business on the back of sharing this type of content. And I guess, PJ, look, it, it, it's very damaging for, for for anyone, I would say, but particularly uh, the, the, the younger um, generation. I, give, I guess it gives a, having that level of exposure to graphic content 
will definitely give a distorted view of the world. And I think it'll, it'll probably make them believe that this type of violence and extreme behavior is more prevalent than it actually is, right? And that'll obviously have an emotional and psychological effect. It desensitizes uh, children to these types of actions and obviously can help, you know, then generate inappropriate behavior. So it's incredibly, incredibly psychologically damaging for people if they start uh, regularly uh, seeing this type of stuff, you know. Mm. For parents in particular who are worried about what their youngsters are seeing and sharing, they will feel helpless because they will say, oh, should they buy and sell me? I haven't a clue what they're doing or how to or how to intervene. Yeah, there's, there's, there's three pillars to dealing with this. The first one is uh, parental guidance. Uh, the second one is education. And then finally, there's technology. Now, I, I work in the technology space, so you, you would assume that I would say it first and foremost. But like you just said, uh, children are incredibly proficient now at using these devices, at finding ways around um, the, the controls that are put in place. And obviously, all of their friends have multiple devices as well. So the ability to get your hands on this type of content, if you want, it's, I would say it's virtually impossible to stop. So th- the first two pillars being parental guidance and education are probably, you know, fundamentally the most important when it comes to when it comes to what these uh, kids are going to look at online, you know. Mm. If we give our kids devices, Roland, those of us who are parents, if we give our young kids devices, is it is it something of our job as a parent to know what they're capable of finding on those things? Definitely. I mean, up to, well, look up to a certain age. It is, right? And you'll know, PJ, the minute they become teenagers, I mean, they, they turn into Switzerland, right? Trying to have, trying to find out what they're doing or who they're talking to is uh, becomes increasingly difficult as they become more sophisticated. But definitely, I mean, up until they get to at least first year, I mean, um, I wouldn't be a big fan of them having a mobile phone, well, a smartphone anyway, mm. because, I mean, um, at least when they're on the iPad in the house, you can police it to a degree, right? And you'll have, a, you'll have an idea what's going on. But the more um, uh, connect, connectivity that they, that they have while they're out of your line of sight, um, that's, that can be typically where the problems happen, you know. Are there apps that a parent can put on their phone to keep an eye on what their kids are opening and looking at, there there is te- technological solutions. But as as I said, right, you've got the parental guidance, you've got education, and then you've got technology. If you're going to rely on technology solely to try and uh, police this problem, then it will fail because there's just too many ways around it. There's too many different applications. You, you know, is your technology going to look at things like WhatsApp or Snapchat or Facebook or what mm. you're browsing on Google? Um, I mean, it's it, technology is the last resort by far and away. It's 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 guidance and education um, mm-hmm. that would be most important here. You know, it's 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 a bit like sex education, right? When you're using the internet, you gotta you know you gotta educate people. On, you know, what are what are the potential uh, issues of of using this type of technology as you get older? You know, certainly there's a, a toothpaste out of the tube in terms of how young we now give our children. Smartphones, you see them getting them for their Holy Communion, for goodness sake, at this stage. Um, In the UK, I read this morning in the papers that the ministers over there want to ban all phones, all mobile phones from public schools, as in you don't even bring it in with you. Do we need to to look at the school sector? 
I think it's a great idea. Honestly, I, I think. I mean, you look at the the, the, the just the pure addiction of um, these devices, the um, the endorphins that they release when people get likes on. I've often spoken to you about this, PJ, yeah. on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. And the problem here is that adults are just as addicted as children, right? So they're watching, and we're all guilty of it. Um, they're watching grown men and women running around. Uh, with their heads stuck in their phone, you know, for hours on end. And, um, they, I mean, it, it's natural. They, they, they follow that behavior themselves, mm-hmm. right? So, it's, I mean, you know, put up your hand if you're, if it's hard to throw stones when you're in glass houses when, when you know, the vast majority of adults are addicted to it. So I would agree. I think, I think you know, banning it in public schools is a great idea. Mm-hmm. A term I heard used a number of years ago by a commentator called Simon Sinek, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he, he talked about blue light addiction, that there is a light that these screens give off and we actually become addicted to the light, not just what we're looking at. Um, so I, I wouldn't agree with that. No. I think I think it's kind of, a level, well, I think it's kind of a level deeper. I think people have become addicted to the endorphin rush that they get from getting likes on social media. Okay, and like social media, it's a, it's it's was Mark Zuckerberg, or one of the one of the Google executives came out and he described Google search as being um I, don't know, I can't remember the exact quote of it you know it's like the drug trade it's so addictive right, um but I mean the the endorphin rush that people get when they get likes on Instagram or. Facebook or whatever that becomes absolutely highly addictive and what these guys are trying to do is lure you into more screen time I mean that's their modus operandi because then they can you know they can pump advertising uh, at you and so forth so it's um I think it's it's you know I get the blue light thing, but I think it's more it's become more at an application level now. It's getting engagement from from these different platforms, and that's what they're designed to do. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about this, and we've had a laugh about it on the program, but it generally is you can. It's demonstrably true that your various platforms are listening to you. They're listening to you talking. They're almost they can almost hear you think you'll get an advert an ad an advert for something you were chatting about ten minutes ago will come up on your phone. Yeah, that's no secret. That's very invasive stuff. Oh, it is. I mean, I mean, what these guys, the technology these guys are building to keep your attention. I mean, it's a bat. It's a battle for eyeballs on the screens and. They're doing an incredibly effective job. I mean, they're they're the biggest companies, the biggest corporations on the planet now, and they they they've become um, that large in size by um, making people addicted to their smart devices. Come back lastly to the kind of tough thing that is circulating at the moment, and, and we're we're done with this case now. We're not going to comment on it again. But there is a lot of undesirable content out there. What's the first thing a parent needs to do to try to stop their kids from either seeing or circulating this stuff? So I would argue it's impossible to stop them seeing it. Irrespective of the technology you put in, if they want to see it, they'll see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll either see it on their own device or they'll see it on a friend's device or they'll see it in a social media platform. So if we take that as the starting point that you're not going to be able to stop them, then I think you have to clearly understand that you need to give them guidance and education about if they find themselves in a situation where some of their friends are watching it um, and you need to educate them about possible ways not to watch it or if they do watch it what are the consequences of watching it and as I said earlier the consequences they may not sleep it's going to give them psychological or emotional damage it's going to give them a distorted view on the world um, I mean there's lots of damaging consequences I, I, I just a very quick one PJ mm-hmm. um, over the years, I've had to do 
many different negotiations with hacking groups in different parts of the world for for various sums of money in order to uh, get ransoms paid and so forth. But in many cases, the ransom or the negotiation will go pear-shaped. And the tactic that they would use is they would send they would send me these very disturbing videos of decapitations and murders and all these different things. Right? They'd, send them, they'd send them continuously via WhatsApp. And I remember thinking, uh, although there was no chance that I was ever going to really meet these people, God knows where they were in the world, but I remember the psychological impact of these videos coming in and you know they're saying, we're going to do this too and so forth, right? Um, and it, it is a very, I mean, these videos are incredibly disturbing. So um, if they can have, if they can be extremely disturbing to a, to a grown adult, you can imagine the impact that they'll have on a young child's brain as it's forming. So um, take the starting point, you're not going to stop them. There's no way you can stop them. I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. And if there's no way you can stop them, then you have to take your best shot at educating them and giving them the guidance, uh, whether they're in a scenario where that video is going to be viewed or uh, if they do view it, what the potential consequences of that are. And then you have to just trust them. That's what I would say. All right. Roland, thank you. As always, Roland Murphy, Smart Tech and 247. Uh, yeah. Uh, with regard to this particular video that is going around, you can have a quiet word with your children and say, I don't know if you have that video. I don't know if you've seen that video. I would much prefer that you neither had it nor had seen it. But for goodness sake, don't share it. It's a criminal offence. And as of Saturday night, in the words of Judge Andrew Cody at Tullamore District Court, it is a criminal offence now to share or to cause to be shared that particular video. And it could land you in jail or land you with fines of up to €12,000. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Fox96FM. It's a month now since 29-year-old Sean Feeney died of a heart attack, or a suspected heart attack. When he chased thugs that had been throwing things at his house in Cove. Um, it happened he wasn't long back home after being away for a while. And he ran out into the street to chase these youngsters away. Or to try to get them to cop on. And he got a heart attack. And he died. I remember being here the morning the story broke. And we had heard this and we couldn't quite put together what had happened and then it emerged and it was such a such a tragedy such a tragedy there's a big gang problem in Cove it's not the first time that we've heard about gangs down there and over the years we have been sent videos and I've talked to people in Cove about young gangs down there who who think they own the place but Sean's month mind was uh, this weekend just past and uh, Sam Bourne is uh, Sean's partner. Um, Sam, good morning uh, and good to talk to you. How are you coping? How are you feeling? Good morning to you. Um, I'm okay. <laughs> I suppose that's the only word you can use at this stage. I'm I'm okay. I'm kind of trying to come to terms with what's happened, really. You've had huge support locally and from all over. Massive, massive. And not only locally here in Cove, but um, Sean's family in Bannon College, the outpour there has been amazing as well. 
um, just fantastic. It's it's a sad thing to to have to realise that you have a community behind you when something so bad happens. Yeah, if that, that makes any sense, oh, it's just totally. it's awful. But it's the only blessing to come out of any of this. Is just the outpour of support for both families. It's been amazing. He was only twenty nine. Yeah, yeah. Did did he have a condition or something? Well, he had um, he had a valve replacement when he was in his late te- teens, seventeen, eighteen. Um, it was it was manageable, but it was managed by the HSC. So he was going every year for checkups, um, getting looked at, and things like that. So, you know, people can say he has an underlying condition, but he, he was healthy. You know, he was a fit and healthy man with this. You know, um, a lot of people have them. A lot of people have variations of heart problems. You know, um. But at the time, he was fit and healthy. Describe what happened for me on the night. Um, on the night, so the uh, that whole weekend, Sean had been away with his family. His dad celebrated his 60th birthday only a week or two before, so they had gone away. Um, I was here with my mother. She came over because my nan's not well at the minute. And on the Saturday night where they were away, we, we had gone downtown, had a few drinks, come back up, and something was I don't know what was fired at the house but the house shook and a, and a picture frame fell off it was that bad and that's something that's been happening the whole time so um the Sunday night he came home he came back with our little boy who's four um from the weekend he was on great form he was chatting away about the weekend for me and everything that had happened and um it started it started with a, a knock at the door but like a banging on the door um, he actually did go out to see if he, he could see anyone hanging around and I told him to come back in. And then the next thing, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, there was stones thrown at the door. Um, another while later, there was another banging, like banging at the door again, and you could hear them running. So um, he was in the kitchen. He was watching something on YouTube and he um, just ran. He just ran out the door. Um, in instantaneously, it's like he just wants to know who these people, like who it was. So he ran and he ran out to follow them. So I, I had gotten up off the sofa and followed him out, uh, casually because, to be honest, I didn't think he was going to reach them. But as time was standing and I was standing there, I, I could hear things. Uh, I kind of got a bit worried, and then uh, a guy ran up to me and said, "He's on the ground. He's on the ground." So I immediately ran, and got to the corner, and there he was on the ground. Mm-hmm. They had scarpered, obviously. They run. Yeah, they had gone. There, there, there is eyewitnesses to say that they had seen the kids run past. Sean followed. Sean stopped, and then he collapsed on the ground. Awful tragedy. Sam, so sorry for for your just, loss. And thank you. From all yeah, the team it's just here. Shocking. So sorry. This gang or gangs. You're not the first person I've spoken to about gang trouble in Cove. It's going on a long time. A long time. Yeah, a long, long time. This summer was particularly bad from the community around and the stories being told. It's, it was particularly bad this summer for whatever reason. There seems to be two gangs. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few less. How do I say? There's a few that are less um, vicious than the main gang, but they're, they're still around. They're still they feel like they're on un, they're untouchable. So they feel they can do anything. And at the minute, that's what's that's what's that is what's happening, and it's nationwide. It's not just in Cove. It's it's everywhere. Like this this age group, unfortunately, I don't know where it's come out of, but they just think by having the phone in your face or doing whatever that they can 
they can do anything to people. Hmm. And had you had incidents like this kind of ongoing? I know. Describe again for the listeners the position of your house. It you're unfortunately you're a bit of a soft target. Soft target. We're we're the estate that we have is a beautiful estate. It's huge. It's full of greenery. It's full of cul-de-sacs off the main road. But we are a walkthrough estate, so it connects you know from one part of town to the next and shortcuts and things like that. So the kids are going through. A lot of kids, I have to say, in this town are fantastic and they don't do anything. You know, they use it as, as a walkway to cut through. But unfortunately, we are a soft target being a corner house of a cul-de-sac that they can fire stuff at the house and run. And, you know, you, you're not going to catch them when they have to take you. They have a couple of yards on you already, you know. Mm. You said that they hit the house, the side of the house so hard, something fell off the wall. That wasn't a bottle. Yeah, my picture frame, a picture frame. Yeah. Um. I don't know what it is. Uh, we've had beans thrown at the house. We've had eggs thrown at the house at Halloween, which I know a lot of people everywhere suffer as well. But um, we've had apples, anything thrown on the ground at the windows. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have CCTV at the time. You know, we didn't have the doorbell cam. That's something that we were looking at getting into because we were just worried for our own sakes if something had happened and a window had broken. You know, you don't know who's done it that you could go and chase it. And why should your insurance and premiums go up because of others, you know? Had Sean tried to intervene with them before? No, I mean, there's 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 been incidents where, again, uh, older kids had been hanging in the corner just chatting and our little boy would have been in bed and they might have been a bit loud and he's gone out and politely asked them, look, lads, it's a little baby in bed. And they've been very polite and mm-hmm. no problem. Sorry about that and walk on. But with this group, no. Um, like the neighbours would tell you that, you know, even during the summer you drive past, they wouldn't even go off the road. They'd be staring you down driving, you know, that you'd have to go around them. Um, hurling abuse at you, things like that. It's but he's never, he never dealt with them before. No, no. Um, you say that the guards have been a great help, but there isn't a whole lot they can do because these kids are so young. Yeah, yeah. Like I have heard that they can, they can give these asbos and they can, they can do some stuff. But the guards have said that they've brought kids home, and they've been told to to mind their own business. That wasn't my child. This is the attitude that people are fed up with in the town, I think, and, and probably elsewhere in the country, that, you know, the guards' hands are tied to a certain amount. We shouldn't, it was, a point was made before that we shouldn't need a whole lot of guards. You know, like parents should know where their kids are and people should be responsible for their kids. But unfortunately, we live in a society where it's not, it's acceptable, you know. And my biggest problem is that, like, how they speak to guards, how they treat guards, it's 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 appalling, really, you know. We all raise our kids to be a certain way. You'd like them to be a certain way. Unfortunately, they fall into wrong gangs and stuff happens. People make mistakes, things like that. But you take responsibility for your children and these people aren't. And that's why the town is fuming because it's the same It's the same kids, you know. If it was a, a range of kids, then you'd say it's a, a big problem. But these groups get together and, again, it's not just here. It's everywhere. You know, these certain gangs get together and it's mainly, I think, I feel the kids feel like, oh yeah, my parents will believe me or my parents won't care so I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. I think you believe, Sam, and God, the tragedy that's visited upon you, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you think that what happened to Sean is a sign that something more needs to be done other than just wringing your hands and say, we can't do anything here. We need changes in the law. Me and his mum and his family, like me and his mum are on a crusade at the minute. We are, we're going to change things. Um, I have written to the Justice Minister looking for an appointment to speak to her. Mm-hmm. How, if I get there, I don't know, but I'm not going to, we're not going to give it up. We, they, 
we've not met um, his mum and myself. We're, we're very strong, determined people to get this done. He's not dying on the side of the road for no reason. Like, not, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more support for the guards. The laws have to change. We pay our taxes. We work really hard and, like... It, it's going nowhere, you know. Uh, there's no guards around. Why would you want to join the guards is another thing. When you, you're going into a job, I'd imagine being a guard, you'd want to go and change the world and fight the fight and help make a place a better place. But you've nothing to protect you because you could get sued or you could be in trouble with these people, you know. It's just, it's mind-blowing. So we are, we're fighting. Um, we're fighting hard because this, we would like change. We don't want any family to go through this or worse. Um, and that's the bottom line of it. Yeah, like you say, who would join the guards at the moment? Goodness sake, they're on the verge yeah. of strike action, as you know from the from the newspapers, and we've fe- featured it on the program. And these youngsters, um, you said to me a while ago, they just literally give the guards the finger. Yeah, and I don't know about other listeners and whatever, but I love uh, kind of real life documentaries and stuff. And you see the stuff in the UK. If you swore at a police officer in the UK, you get arrested. You're in the cell. You have something on your record. You get what I mean? I, I don't understand why it's not here. Like, it's courtesy as well, you know, and uh, it's just, it's mind-blowing that this is what they have to put up with, you know. The law isn't on their side and the law isn't on your side or Sean's side. The law seems no. to be on the side of the thug. Yeah. 100% it's, it's again, and I think this is where a lot of anger comes from people because, you know, it's it's unfair, it's unjust. Things like this happen, but something like this shouldn't have to happen for things to be right. I shouldn't have to be visiting a grave to give him updates on my son, what's going on in our lives, you know. Like, it's just a horrible reality that we have to face as a family that no parent should bury a child. I should not be... On my own at this age of my life, we had so many plans. How long were you together? We were eight years. Crikey. Sure, you were only kids when you met. Yeah, great relationship, great partner, great dad. Mm. Where did you meet? Um, he worked in Apple Green with his mum. His mother was a manager of Apple Green down in Cove and... Um, I used to do my weekly shopping and get the food in and get the petrol in on my day off. And he'd always be there with his big smiley face, as I always said, it was his smile. And uh, we had like an FBI search going on for who he was because he wasn't from Cove, he was from Burnley College. So we had people looking to find out who he was. What? Who's this Who's this gorgeous guy in Apple Green? Who's this gorgeous curly hair guy? Yeah, literally. And I... <laughs> It was a friend of mine went in. She had enough of me asking, find, trying to find out who it was. So she went in and uh, she asked, I think it was his brother and his best friend working that shift that night, actually, and was asked, describing him. And we found him and I added him on Facebook and started messaging him. Um, and he accepted and he was chatting away to me for the night. We both had to love a rugby. So we were chatting away about the rugby. And who asked who else? I only said it to his mum that uh, I found those messages recently. I actually went looking through and he actually asked me out. He asked when, what times was I finished work and we could meet up and, and that was it. Oh, yeah. And you've, what, is it one or two kids you have? I have two I have two boys. I have one with Sean, um, Jay, our youngest, and my older boy um, is 16. I can't for the life of me imagine what you're going through. It's, it's 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 very it's just very hard. Like it's it's a wave of emotions. Um, 
I still feel like he's at work. You know, during the day, I keep myself busy. It's the night times when everyone's in bed and you're lying there. It just shouldn't be happening, like. Yeah. It should not be happening. You want to change things for him? For him. I want to Sean Feeney Law. I want their law to be Sean Feeney Law. And I want him to be in the history books because... he has to. It has to happen. Like it's, There's not a choice of it. might not be. It's going to happen. Between me and his mum, we will get this done. As you said to me a minute or two ago, he's not going to die on the side of the street in vain. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We know there's a problem in Cove with this long time, Sam, and I'm fairly sure that some of the parents of these youngsters might be listening this morning. If they are, what would you say to them? I would just just take responsibility for your kids. Know where they are. Acknowledge what they're doing. Because it's not only me and my, you know, like this area that they're affecting. They're affecting a lot of people. And just take responsibility for them. Get them off the streets. Discipline them. Do something like there's a lot of support out there for families if they need it, you know rely on that but like just this bury your head in the sand and it's not them and they're not responsible it's just not good enough at all at all and and to the politicians who look they'll come to a funeral they'll they'll shake your hand and they'll be very sorry for your loss and i'm sure they are but but what would you say to them to the east cork politicians who have the ear of the minister I just, I would just plead with them to to meet us, to fight for us, to listen to what needs to be done. Um, like I said, we pay our taxes, we work hard. This is what the like they should be listening to us. They should be listening to what needs to be done and feed that back. That's what the whole government is about, you know. Like there is change. Change can happen because they can, you know, input it in. Um, I'm a hairdresser by trade and I talk to people all the time throughout the COVID pandemic and all that. People have the same opinion, so I don't understand how sometimes they can get it so wrong. I meet a a range of people in my job, from doctors, solicitors, um, checkout girls, you know, like the whole range of of society, like, and everyone, 90% of people have the same opinion on a lot of stuff. So I just don't understand how sometimes things get wrong and they get mis construed and and it doesn't happen um people want change and they'd only have to see the comments about things online and and things about this that it's it's not just covid i've had people message me from england saying that the same thing is happening over there um we see that there's other big towns as well that are facing the same issue and it has to be dealt with it's about time it's dealt with really Mm. you sound strong and you sound together but i'm sure it's been very, very difficult. Who's looking after you? I have I have my family. I have Sean's family rallying around me. They Again, they're going through their own grief and they couldn't be minding me any better. Do you know, I, I would be lost without them. My own friends and family here are just amazing. Like, the girls have rallied around me so much. Um, I'm not alone. And I know that. And, like, I sound strong. I don't feel I'm strong. I'm... I'm very very sad at night and it's the nights that get me yeah um but i know i can ring anyone and they'd be there that's great you take great care of yourself and of your boys bye-bye now thanks so much for your time bye sam what can you say what can you say uh, 29 years of age whole life out in front of him with his partner is too and well his son and her 
or the boy as well. Ah, <clears throat> there are no words, but these little tugs have been have been around Cove for a long time. I would safely say it's five, six, seven years ago now. I was taking calls on the opinion line from people whose lives were being uh, turned to a misery uh, at the hands of these little shaggers. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. I do remember someone phoning the show years and years ago, suggesting that maybe a truckload of soldiers or a battalion of thirty or forty soldiers from. Collins's barracks and bring them downtown and let them clean the gangs off the street and let them lift the troublemakers from the streets and at the time the person who made that call was kind of laughed at and said no, come on now, come here, do we really want to go there? But in Sweden, that seems to be exactly what they're thinking of doing to clean up a problem that they have with very violent drugs Gangs. Philip O'Connor, regular contact of ours uh, in and Sweden. I think, Philip, you went there for six months about 20 years ago and you're still there and always good to, to catch up with you again. What's this about? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to be on again and a good morning to your listeners. This has been going on for a long time. We've had a problem with gangs in the city of Stockholm and in Sweden in general for a long time and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So in September in total, I think there was 11 violent murders and, you know, this would include sort of, you know, explosions, hand grenades, this kind of thing being used, but also shootings. And it's a very unusual situation. It's an extremely complex situation. But last week, the Prime Minister Ulf Kisterson, he leads a sort of a centre-right coalition which is propped up by the far-right Sweden Democrats and I think there was three murders in the space of about 12 hours and he came out and he did a sort of a speech to the nation and he did exactly what you, you said he's saying there. He said, I'm going to talk to the army about how we can deal with this. Now, it's going to be extremely difficult because in most democracies you can't just deploy the army when the police aren't doing their job. Mm. But he did, he called in uh, the chief of the army, he called in the chief of the police to see if they can deal with this Personally, I don't really think it's going to work, but that's where we are at the moment here in Sweden. Mm. Where, where you'd be here would be you have to use the Aid to Civil Powers Act to ask them to do, do so much as, as clear a blocked road. So I, I'm assuming mm. something else exists in Swedish law. that they, can, they, they have to actually ask them formally under legislation to get involved. Well, you'd be more or less saying, right, we have to, uh, it has to be a state of emergency. And as the law stands at the moment, I think it's only in uh, in the case of an act of terrorism, an ongoing act of terrorism or an act of war, that the army can be deployed uh, by the parliament or by the prime minister. And it's extremely tight for obvious reasons. When you look at the history of Europe, going back to probably, you know, the post-First World War period, you don't want lads just throwing soldiers out in the street when they feel like it. But the, the disappointing thing with the discussion, having got to this point, PJ, is what, what are the army going to do, right? It's not like this front lines in this particular war in inverted commas, right? This is something that's happening in society. It's something that, you know, these gangs are involved in. And I think the problem really is that when it was in certain specific areas, when it was in certain specific suburbs, people didn't really mind. But the closer it comes to sort of, if you want to call it civil society, the more upset sort of people are getting that, okay, this is a dangerous thing to happen. Because there's no doubt about it. The lads doing these things, they're getting more and more brazen 
They don't care who sees them. Uh, there was recently a young lad was shot last week uh, near a football pitch and there was hundreds of young fellas and young ones training and parents sitting around drinking coffee out of flasks and this. And uh, this young fellow was shot uh, just outside of the football pitch there. So when that starts to happen, obviously society needs to react. But are soldiers, are we going to have soldiers on the sidelines when young ones and young fellas are playing football? And how do you do that then with hundreds of thousands of kids doing these things every day? Mm. No, you, you're a, you're you're originally a dub. You haven't you haven't lost that. Uh, you'll know what's been going on in uh, Dublin with the Kinnahans and the other gangland feuds going on up there. Are we talking about that kind of thing on the streets of of Stockholm? I would say yes and no and it's interesting that you mentioned our good friends the Kinnahans because I just took part in a radio documentary about their feud with the Hutch family and the, the situation here is quite unique PJ right because guns are actually really easy to get now I know people listening to this are saying in Sweden guns are really easy yeah okay you have the Öresund Bridge that we all watched the TV show at the time right that connects Sweden to Denmark yeah. you can drive down over that bridge and you can drive down into the former Baltic states and Slovenia and that and you can buy weapons that are decommissioned Right, that would have you know the the, the 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 barrel of the gun would be welded shut, a piece of metal would be put in there, right? But anybody who has a brain in their head and a weld machine can take those things out again. So it's actually very easy to to drive those guns back over the bridge. A welder here recommissions them, and then all of a sudden you're finding them on the streets, right? Uh, you also have people involved who are very 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 young. You would be surprised at the at the youth of some of the kids who are involved. Tell right? me, tell this is not being yeah. 13, 14, 15 years old, right? The reason for that is that if you're caught and done for murder at 15, you're not going to serve the rest of your life in prison. You, you're probably, you may not even get prison at all, depending on how it goes, right? But the, the law treats people differently depending on whether they are children or adults. And obviously then, you're going to get less older people involved in organised crime. And what they will do then is they recruit kids who are young. Uh, they call them in Swedish, they call them splingisar, which basically means runners, right? And they'll get these kids uh, to take bags of weapons and bags of drugs on public transport and transport them around the city. And these kids then get maybe, you know, 100 euros or 200 euros or 500 euros, depending on what they're doing, right? And once they're sucked into this life, because there are parts of, of the big cities and suburbs in the big cities where people don't have a whole lot, no more than they do in, in parts of suburbs of Cork or Dublin, right? And these kids see what other people have. And they see people on TikTok and on Instagram. They see people with Gucci caps and Hugo Boss jeans and all this. They want that. And there's no way they can ever get it, honestly. So what do they do? They get the chance to earn 100 euros by just carrying a bag from one place to the other. And the next thing when you've done that, you're asked to carry a bag of guns. Then you know there's guns in the bag. And it's a very, very short step when you're in this life to being asked to actually pick up that gun and point at another teenager who works for a rival gang or who has let your gang down and to pull the trigger. And that's how they get brought into it. That's a frightening picture, Philip. And the, the reason it is frightening is because those very same tactics were used by the gangs in Dublin and I'm sure were used by drugs gangs here in Cork using 13 and 14 year olds to move bags of stuff around. Well, this is the thing. And, you know, to be honest, it breaks my heart, PJ, to talk about these things because for the 20, I moved here in 1999, 24 years now, I live in one of the areas that the government is talking about uh, interview, introducing stop and search in my postcode, right? So if you can imagine, I could be finished talking to you today now, maybe in a week's time, and I might be stopped on the way home and I'm going to go through my rucksack and my pockets and that and make sure I'm not involved in crime, right? I know these young fellas. I know young fellas who've died and who've been shot. I know young fellas who are carrying these bags today, right? 
And what really breaks my heart is that most of these young fellas, like everyone is some mother's son or everyone is some mother's daughter, right? They didn't start out like this. But the situation has been created whereby this is their only hope, right? And they know. We talk about, oh, you know, you need longer sentences and you need this and you need to be harder on them, that kind of thing. They know they're going to die, right? These kids will ask you, does it hurt when you get shot? Does it burn? What's the pain like when you get shot? I've no idea. I've never been shot. These are the things that trouble their minds, right? In the beginning, they're thinking about the Gucci cap and the Hugo Boss belt, and they're thinking about having the fast car and that, but they very quickly realize that this is a career that's going to be lucrative, but very, very short indeed. And this is what they're living with. What they do then is they turn to drugs like tramadol and to cannabis and things like that to dampen their own angst and their own pain and their own anxiety. I'm struggling not to hear you almost explaining stuff away here, Philip. Um, I'm not explaining it away. Tuggery, I mean, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you a context, right? Yeah. Pardon me? Tuggery is tuggery. It, it is, but the thing is that nobody starts out there, right? I remember many years ago in Dublin, there was a criminologist explaining to me, right, that, you know, a crimin- a criminality in Dublin at that time, he said, was like boiling the frog, right? You do something small. You know the way you hear that about young people, PJ, yeah. where, you know, if, if you catch somebody shoplifting, right, try to get them dead. If you catch somebody in possession of a little bit of hash, try to get them then. Because if you don't, it's a sort of a gateway into another life, right? But it's not something that, you know, not everybody is brought up maybe with the moral compass that you and I may have grown up with and that many of your listeners will have grown up with. So what's normal for them is not normal for you and me. I couldn't ever imagine doing the things that these young fellas do, but I understand how they end up there. You know, mm. if you have a situation where you don't have people who look after you, if your mother and father aren't at home, if you don't... It's have, aces theory, you know, they call it now. Aces theory. Yeah. Adverse children. Well, this is it. Well, Exactly, yeah. So I'll give you a good example, right? Last Sunday evening, we were going playing football and we needed an extra player. And, you know, like I'm starting to run out of players because our team is so bad now that I can call up and get them to play, right? But I called up this young fella because I played uh, football with his brothers maybe 20 years ago. They'd be a good bit older than him and he's just turned 18. And he jumped into the car and he came and he played football. The nicest young fella in the world, right? He lives in one of those areas where he would have had a sort of choice in his life. Either go and concentrate on your football and your education or go and be one of these runners, right? Now, his two brothers are tough lads but they would never countenance him getting involved in crime so he had somebody to steer him into a good life friends of his haven't and friends of his will be the lads who are starting to populate the graveyards here so I don't think it's as simple as saying uh, with all respect to you PJ I don't think it's as simple as saying that these lads are thugs this is what they become because of the circumstances that surround them there are obvious points where they can choose which way to go but sometimes as I say the choices that make logical sense to you and me when they come at it from their perspective and from their circumstances and their context they make different choices to the ones that we would make Lastly and briefly I'm caught for time Philip the idea of bringing out the army is it going to happen is there public support for it I think there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger. I don't think it will be possible. But what we will see is the police given an awful lot more draconian powers. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're stopping me and going through my bag and having a look through it in a few weeks or a few months' time. All right. Talk to you again, Philip O'Connor, Irish journalist based for the last 24 years just outside Stockholm in Sweden. Thanks, Philip. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The Minds are live. Hello.
Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 I will come back to your comments about Cove and gangs and thugs and what we should do to try to get them off the streets. I will come back to that in a while. Philip doesn't believe that the army will actually end up on the streets in in, in Stockholm. It was thought of by callers to this programme years ago that a few soldiers from Collins Barracks facing down gangs at the side of the road would be a way to, to tackle the situation. I'd love to know, would you, would you still believe that? If you ever believed it at all, a few soldiers helping out the guards to get these thugs off the streets. I'm interested in your thoughts, 0818-969696. All this week, we are proud to be partnering with the National Menopause Summit. It takes place this month on Friday, October 20th at Cork City Hall during World Menopause Awareness Month. All the details and tickets at nationalmenopausesummit.com. And here on the opinion line to mark our partnership with the summit, we are celebrating fabulous women all this week. All you've got to do is tell me who we're celebrating. Like, who is this? Well, it's a bit of both, really. I kind of flip my time between Cove and Melbourne. Things have changed a lot for me, you know, from, you know, when I was competing at a very high level. You really need to hear that a second time, do you? All right, so... Well, it's a bit of both, really. I kind of flip my time between Cove and Melbourne. Things have changed a lot for me, you know, from, you know, when I was competing at a very high level. Text or WhatsApp, her name and yours to 083 396 96 96. Now, as I was driving into work this morning, the cost of a litre of petrol at a garage I passed was 184. Diesel was 179. Working out the tax rates that the AA puts on its website, of that 184 for petrol, 106 is tax. And of that 179 for diesel, 95 cents is tax. It's looking very like the two euro litre is back on the table. Uh, the government might not impose the excise in the budget. There's excise due to go back again at the end of October. The budget might cancel that. We don't know. But Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of the Irish Indo, we are heading dangerously close again, aren't we, Charlie? to the two euro litre. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, that was the big story on Friday morning's Independent. And I think it sent shivers through the government and they were um, busily briefing all weekend, uh, the Sunday Independent and the Irish Independent this morning, that they're unlikely now to go ahead with the last of the uh, restorations of the full excise duty, if you like. Because mm. the last time uh, petrol and diesel were heading for the psychologically important two euros a litre, they, if you remember, there, there was a big reduction in the in the duty on petrol and diesel. 20 cents came off on petrol and about 16 on diesel. Mm-hmm. But it's it was gradually being restored this, this, you know, between the summer and at the start of last month as well. But, um, uh, we're, we're back into two, yeah, we're, we're heading for the two euro territory, I'm afraid. Remember, carbon tax will go up in the budget. That'll go up on midnight. That'll add about two cents to your litre. 
so then due at the end of the month then as I say was this last of the you know the increases on um, mm. petrol Seven and diesel cents about, and, and, yeah, it's 8 cents on the petrol and 6 on the diesel so yeah and, and it, all of this comes at a time when crude prices are going through the roof PJ um, it's, um, and it's not helped by the fact that the euro is weak uh, when compared with the dollar because we have to buy in dollars so mm-hmm. we have fewer you know it, it, we, have to, we have to spend more euros to buy now because of that um, but it's mainly down to our friends in Saudi Arabia and uh, they're heavily restricting supply the Russians as well even though we don't buy directly from the Russians anymore that this impacts the price the Russians are very much uh, limiting supply of oil to the west as well so crude oil prices going through the roof uh, you have uh, then the dollar being strong or the euro being weak rather uh, and then you have excise duties and carbon tax and you put it all together and the, the, the motorist is getting punished so I mean the very least the government can do is hold off on this last increase in excise duty otherwise I think they'll get it in the neck at the doors you know if people are paying two euros a uh, a, a leader that hurts. People don't like that. They remember that, yeah. and you can't remember when it's you know it's it's you know I passed a number of petrol stations yesterday, and you just go and uh, meet somebody, and you know there were around the one eighty six or whatever, but you can't remember the exact. But when it hits two, you know it's two. You, you know yeah, you that, yeah, that that lodges that stays in the mind. So, That's when the photographs uh, start coming into us on WhatsApp, Charlie. But I I got the as you know yourself, the AA has a very accurate breakdown uh, of the tax taken off yeah. a litre and just doing their calculation this morning that 184 litre of petrol 106 is tax yeah. so there's more the it, government could do isn't there there certainly is look at is there another product which has three taxes or levies on it you're talking about excise duty on, on the litre of diesel and, and petrol excise duty VAT and then there's a levy to, to ensure we have security of supply. It's called the NORA levy. Um, you know, so you, you add all this in and, and the, the government takes a massive whack. So, you know, people feel you're getting quite enough, lads. You know, you're more than half of what you pay at the pump per litre goes to the government. You know, for every euro you spend, 50 cents or more is going to the government. So, you know, that th- there's very much a feeling that, you know, people are still under pressure. Inflation is still a massive problem. Mortgage rates and food food inflation is still a big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, general costs are high and rise. And e- e- even if the inflation rate has slowed down a bit, it's still at 5%. It picked up again in September. Right. So, you know, it's not where, where it was, but that just means that it's increasing at a slower pace. It's still increasing. And people have, you know, have arrived up at higher prices, having to fork out more. So, I, I, you know, I think the government have read this one correctly, and and Finance Minister McGrath there, he he realises that he can't get away with this one. He has to pull back on this excise duty. Mm-hmm. It's also impacting the crude price is also impacting home heating oil. I was just about well. to get there. We're coming into winter now. Yeah. People are going to be stocking up their oil tank. That's it. That's, that's it exactly. And you know, I think you're talking about, um, you know, it 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 really has gone very high. It's up about oh, about 300 euros in 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 the last couple of months. Um, again, I mean, that's directly d- due to the crude price. I'm just looking at today's price now. This, um, the last one I have is 1,181 euros for a thousand liters. That's according to OilPrices.ie. Okay. It's a snap. It's 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 an average across the country. Some people are going to be paying more than that. But so if you need a thousand liters, you know you're likely to have to pay one thousand one hundred and eighty at least yeah. uh, at the moment. And, and in May, according to your own report, that was eight hundred and eighty-nine. So it's gone up what 
it's gone, gone from at least 300 euros. 300 euros. Yeah, I mean, you know, it fell right down. I mean, there was a spike around Christmas and we had a very cold spell, if you remember, in the lead up to Christmas, there was panic buying going on as well. And then it kind of, it eased off after that. But I mean, it's it's, it's way up again. And, 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 and you know, the, the, I, I live in North County Dublin, but I mean, a lot of people in Dublin assume, oh, look at your home heat. No, I don't even mention it. It's never mentioned in most of the newspapers. 1.5 million people in this country heat their homes with with oil, with home kerosene or home heating oil. So it's important. I always find I think it's important to 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 track it. Uh, and, and 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 it's a, it's it's a big expense for people. You can't do anything about that. If you need to heat the home, and you have an oil-fired central heating system, you just have to buy oil. Mm-hmm. The carbon tax is another one that they could pause, but they refuse to. I can't see that happening. I mean, you know, the Greens would pull out of government if that happened. That they're very being on the carbon tax and they have legislation in place which means that it's kind of pretty certain that goes up at every budget uh it'll also go on uh other things as well you know uh, gas as well and um uh coal and briquettes and stuff but they tend to delay they always delay that till may but the the the, the, the carbon tax increase on your petrol and your and your diesel goes up at midnight on, on the night of the budget which is this yeah. day week or sorry tomorrow week Robert. tomorrow, tomorrow week, yeah. week tuesday week uh, so you know, um, fill up before that. I mean, if it's that that isn't you, just two cents, but still, it's another one. It's another increase, you know. Uh, so it's 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 very hard for people who are dependent on cars, and you know, mo, mo, if you're outside of the cities in this country, most people don't have good public transport options, so they're stuck driving their own car and spending the money on that. Yeah, yeah so it's, yeah, it's difficult, you know. Yeah, but like you said, if if crude oil keeps going the way it's going, uh, we will end up back at the two euro a litre, whatever Michael McGrath does next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, we could do, uh, you know, I mean, if, 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 if you know, if some of the futures have it at $96 uh, a, a barrel, uh, now it's come back a bit in the meantime, the actual price has come back a bit, it's, it, it, you know, it varies it from minute to minute, as you know. Uh, it's, it's very hard to keep track of oil prices. But, you know, there are some projections. Some of the big investment houses, global investment houses, are predicted to go to $100. If it goes to $100 a barrel, we are in deep, deep, deep trouble. That also it feeds into general inflation and won't help the fight to get, get inflation down, no matter how high interest rates are. So yeah. that's a big concern for everyone, really, if, 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 if oil prices keep going up. I don't know why the Americans can't, get, can't put more pressure on the Saudis to release more oil, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a real, real problem for the world. Lastly, the electricity and the gas are starting to come down. Fast enough, in your opinion? Uh, no. Uh, you know, and they're being very kind of clever as well about announcing decreases, but they announced them about two weeks ago and they don't take effect till next month. Some of the increases don't affect take effect till the 7th of November uh, and they're small enough increases you know most of them are around 10-15% some 20% but uh, they're not huge increases given the scale of the increases we've had so it's still going to be a very expensive summer for or winter rather for people uh, I mean the average uh, house household uses about you know it's costing about 2,000 euros in electricity costs that'll come back maybe to 1,700 euros it's, mm. it's, 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 it's good it's positive and it's great to see cuts, but it has taken a long time mm-hmm. and they're small cuts. And the Economic and Social Research Institute, these are people who are not given to wild speculation. They've questioned whether there's anti-competitive behavior going on in the electricity market. Now, the regulator says there isn't, but, <clears throat> you know, you begin to, you would wonder, wouldn't you, you know? seems mm-hmm. extraordinary that they're, they're making very big profits on the generation side. 
And yet we're being hit with huge increases uh, or, you know, very high bills uh, mm. all the time. So, you know, it, 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 the, the, the good thing here, PJ, I suppose, is it looks like they're coming around. I mean, there was some talk last week that the budget, uh, the credits, the electricity credits in the budget, that they mightn't give as much. They were talking about maybe two 100 euro ones. Um, the latest now is it probably could be, it won't be as good as last year when we got 600 euros, mm. but we may get 400, 400 euros. 400 euros would help. It if would your help. bill has come down by 300, 300 euros and you get another 400 euros knocked off, uh, that's 700 euros, you know, so that's that, that would help a lot. So uh, th- to me, that sounds just spot on. You know, that's probably what they will do. That's the, they'll they're probably calculate that. Um, two by 200, you're saying, yeah? Yeah, yeah two, two by 200, maybe 400 in total. Uh, so it le- that, that would leave people roughly where we were before the, the massive spike in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in electricity costs when the Russians invaded uh, Ukraine. All right. Okay, Charlie, we'll watch it with interest over the next couple of months. Thank you very much. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor, the Irish Independent. So they're probably, you can take it that the excise won't go up the last return of the excise won't happen at the end of the month. We will, of course, have carbon tax. Sure, of course, you'll have carbon tax. The Greens have to have carbon tax. Um, but just bear that in mind the next time that you're shelling out for petrol and diesel. one seventy nine for a litre of diesel this morning, according to one of the garages I passed on the Douglas Road. That's 95 cents tax you're paying. And in the petrol at 184, which is where I saw it this morning coming in, is 106 of that is various taxes. And as Charlie said, it is three different forms of tax on the one product. That at 23%. Excise, including the carbon tax. At, uh, for petrol, it's 38 cents. And for diesel, it's 31 cents. And then this Nora thing. Now, that's only two cents per litre, and that's just to make sure we always have enough supply. But excise and VAT are amounting to, on the litre of petrol, excise and VAT are amounting to over 70 cents. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Yeah, Charlie and his colleagues at the Independent are making some predictions today as to what will be in the budget on Tuesday, the tenth. Of October, social welfare payments expected to go up by a tenner a week across the board. Twelve euro is what some commentators were pushing for, but tenner is pretty much what it'll be. Uh, the USC, there'll be a change in the universal social charge. It's very likely there'll be a cut of half a percent from 4.5% to 4%, which will affect mostly middle income earners. And there'll be a change in income tax credits, PAYE credits, and they may widen the, the, the tax bans to try to put more money back, as they'll tell us, back into people's pockets. Those electricity credits, um, they will be there, but they won't be as big as last year. Last year we got 600 over three credits. This year the Independent is speculating maybe three credits of 150 or two credits of 200. 
the you can forget about the last bit of excise going back on the petrol and diesel, but the carbon tax will go on, and then all the other different government departments are still pulling and dragging to get the last of it over the line to see what they can get for their own department. But the budget will be announced by Ministers Donoghue and McGrath on the 10th of October. Next week, tomorrow week. 0818969696 on... And by the way, the whole flipping thing will be in your Sunday papers next Sunday. I would imagine they'll have the whole lot by then. I remember a time when you didn't know what was coming in the budget until the minister stood up. Those days are gone. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on the teenagers, teenage thugs in Cove. Um, they need to prosecute and fine the parents. Says this message that will stop it. Mm-hmm. Under 10s should be in before 8 o'clock. Over 10s should be in before 9. Parents must be made responsible for the behaviour of their children. You need volunteers going around like like Neighbourhood Watch looking out for kids that are going wrong. You also have to build up a relationship with the guards so that the ordinary kids trust them. Things like the guards talking to a group of harmless lads outside the shop. That has to happen because at the moment kids only get attention when they're doing wrong. There's a number on the cell door for those thugs in Cove, says this unsigned message. Their parents dragged them up and they just don't care what the kids are up to. God love that poor mother, Sam, who has lost her partner. Yeah, you're hard to go out to her, wouldn't it? And on the videos, the sharing of the videos uh, that we discussed earlier on from that case up the country, it's now a criminal offence to share that video or cause it to be shared. Um, I think people should reflect that while it's worthwhile to protect your children from this content, Bernie says many of the most horrific crimes in Ireland today are committed by children. We really need measures to make parents fully aware of what their children are at. 0818 96 96 96. Now we talked about buses last week and ongoing problems with the 220, which was Ireland's first, Ireland's first 24-hour bus service and was only as they say, Medaza when it started. But it is beset by problems now, particularly at the ends of the route. Ballincollig and Carrigaline stroke Camden stroke Crosshaven or wherever you're going today, Fountainstone. I'm talking to Kay last week about a few instances like when it doesn't go all the way. It stops, for example, at the primary care centre in Carrigaline. Stops there without warning. And some youngsters were on board hoping to get to Crosshaven and ended up having to call their, their mother and or their dad or get someone to pick him up and take him home. So that's, that's a problem with the 220. I was looking to get a 220 to town. What night was it last week? Thursday night last week. I was looking to get a 220 into town and went across to the bus stop. And stood at the bus stop, and there on the app in front of me, there was a 2.20 in 3 minutes, there was a 2.20 in 10 minutes, and there was a 2.16 in 15 minutes. So I thought, Grant, I'm sorted. Opened up, no sign of a bus coming, opened up my app again. All three cancelled. The two 2.20s cancelled. Had to get a lift in. So that does happen. Tracy, you got in touch with us because you had a problem. Now, you'll need to explain this. You had a problem involving your mobility scooter. Good morning to you. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Morning. How are you? Very good. What happened to you? I suppose the, 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 the background to this is I was very ill at the start of the summer and I was in a coma for five weeks. And when I came out of it, I couldn't walk. So my son bought me a mobility scooter. And I had issues then with the car. My car is hand controlled, so I was I was able to drive. But I had issues with the car, so I had to fo- use the mobility scooter. We're quite far out from the regular bus services in Ballincollig. So I tootled off on my scooter to get the bus into town because I had an appointment. Okay. And I got I got to the bus stop and the bus pulled up and the driver was very irate with me. He uh, issued me with these instructions that I couldn't come on the bus with the scooter, that I had to have a permit, which I knew nothing about. And he turned around and he said, I'll let you on this time. So he helped, He actually helped me put the scooter on the bus and I went into town. I went to my appointment and my appointment was quite quick. So I was back at the bus stop on the Grand Parade and it was the same driver. Okay. And he stayed in his little cubicle and he just yelled out the, out of the bus at me in front of all the other patrons. I warned you about this before. You're not getting on this bus. I asked him for his name. He refused. I asked him for the inspector's name. He refused to give me that. I said to him, if I need a permit for this scooter, where do I get it from? Who do I contact? That's not my issue, was his reply. And he then proceeded to wave all the customers behind me onto the bus and left me sitting there on the Grand Parade in the pouring rain. He'd let you on to come into town. And then how were you supposed to get home? If Getting the scooter on, Tracy, does that involve pulling out the little ramp and things like that? Yes. Yeah. So he wasn't willing to do that. He never even got out of his cubicle. Yeah. He just yelled at me at the top of his voice in front of all the other customers, I warned you about this, you're not getting on this bus. As luck would have it, the single-decker bus came along five minutes later and it was a middle-aged driver on the bus and he was so nice, he couldn't have been more helpful. He even got off the bus and put the scooter onto the bus for me. Okay, but in terms of the permit, now we did look it up here, Fergal looked it up, and there's quite a bit of detail on the website about the permit, but did you did you know when you got the scooter, when your son, Fair Play to him, bought you the scooter, did, did you know you needed one? No, I had absolutely no idea that I needed one. And I, I, as I, I was at the bus stop and I actually rang the customer services number for Bus Aaron and I asked him to send me out the relevant information so I could fill it in and apply for a permit. Mm. I'm still waiting to receive it. How long ago did you ask? For, uh, this is four weeks ago now. Oh, God. And is there not a form on the website that you can just download or fill in? I don't know. No, no, it... Um, when I looked it up on the website, all I could find was information for Dublin bus. I see. You know, but if I needed a permit, I would have got one. I mean, I have, I have the blue badge for my car. I have the badge for the tolls. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I do, I, everything is above board. You know, if I need a permit, I get it. Yeah, and in fairness, on the morning in question, the guy was willing enough to give, make an exception for you that time. But you, you'd wonder why he wasn't prepared to let you go home afterwards, you know, what you were supposed yeah. to do. I just I discussed this with my son when I eventually got home and he was of the opinion and I shared that opinion that if he made an exception once, he he should have made an exception and let me on the bus knowing full well I was on a mobility scooter. And I, I actually said it to him. I said, how am I supposed to get home? Did you mention it to him like you let me on two hours ago? Yeah, he was a young driver and he was very irate and very abrupt with me. And I was actually embarrassed. There was a crowd of people on the bus some in front of me, some behind me at the bus stop. And he just waved them all on, shut the doors and drove off. Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. You know, to, to my mind, it's discriminating. And come here, how's your health now? You're after a rough old time, but rough few months. Ah, sure, look. I, I was in a coma and I'm down to half a kidney now. I'm still here, thank God. You know, as my father used to say, rest his soul, you can't kill a bad thing. <laughs> I must be destined for great things. Tracy, I appreciate the call. I wish you well with your health. And let us know if you get the permit, will you? I will, of course, yep. I'll, send, I'll even send you a photograph of it if I ever get it. Thanks. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that. Four weeks. Four weeks and no sign of the permit. You, you do have to get a permit, and it's not every mobility scooter they will let on the bus either. It has to be a particular size, because I imagine some of them are really big. But uh, just if you have a mobility scooter, you need a permit to get it on the bus. Thanks for that, uh, Tracy. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. From one different type of transport to another, Catherine, you had a problem on a Nerlingus flight to Malaga from Cork, and you want to to highlight it. Morning. Good morning. Yes. Uh, it, I wanted to alert other passengers so that they would be aware of what might happen to them. Right. I think it was appalling and Aer Lingus have been really remiss about either replying to me or corresponding after I've lodged the complaints. What happened? Well, basically, the flight that flight goes out at quarter past seven in the evening, which is quite late, which means it gets into Malaga at 11.15. And it has been consistently delayed for the last two weeks. Right. Uh, sometimes an hour, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a bit more. Are you a regular traveller on that flight? Well, I would be a regular traveller with Aer Lingus, not necessarily on that flight. Right. But I happen to know people who went out the previous week and they were delayed over an hour as well and had the exact same experience that we had. And before you tell me exactly what happened, this was September 11th it happened, yeah? That's right, yeah. It was a Monday. It was a Monday evening. Uh, the flight was delayed an hour, which was fine. We knew this, so we changed our pickup in Malaga to come an hour later. Then when we were actually on the plane, it was delayed another half an hour. Okay. So that was fine. We probably didn't get into Malaga until probably close to course to one, one o'clock. It was yeah. very late. What happened with the assisted travel side of things? Okay, so assisted travel... We, I've done assisted travel on this flight a number of times. You book assisted travel, they normally will pick you up in a wheelchair and take you through passport control to the baggage area and out through the exit. Mm-hmm. But Is that here in Cork are, or over in Malaga now? Over in Malaga. Okay. 
but if there are a number of people on assisted travel on the flight, they will take them to a buggy. They'll use the wheelchair to use the air bridge, take them to a buggy, and then the buggy will take them down and through the airport, pick up the bags and get them to the exit. Okay. So in this particular instance, when we went to get up to get off the flight, I said to the stewardess, is the wheelchair there? And she said, oh, if you're wheelchair, you have to wait until the end. And I said, no. I said, we're already late. We're in the front row. The wheelchair is there. I said, we need to go. Anyway, we waited a few minutes and then I saw the wheelchair. So we got up to go out. I said, the wheelchair is there. And she said, no, I'm waiting for six to arrive. So nobody can take a wheelchair until all six are here. Right. I said, you're not going to get six wheelchairs on an air bridge ever. Anyhow, I rather than having more of a scene, I left and went down to see if the buggy was there because my mother would be capable of walking an air bridge, but she wouldn't be capable of walking through Malaga okay. Airport. Okay. There's no steps to... involved here. It's straight onto no. the air bridge, straight into the terminal. Yeah, Exactly. So I went down and the buggy was there and I was actually on my way back to collect mum when she had actually got onto the wheelchair and came up. And then they, they ferried the six passengers by wheelchair out to the buggy. So, the, sorry, initially the stewardess was, was saying, well, can we wait for the six wheelchairs to come so we get everyone off the same time, to which you said there's no chance of getting six wheelchairs here? Yeah, there wouldn't be six wheelchairs down an airbridge. And, and you wouldn't get the buggy down the airbridge either, no? No, no, it won't fit down the airbridge. So I know that it's always a wheelchair off the airbridge. And if there's a buggy there, they take you on buggy normally through the airport. Okay. So so you're going through the airbridge expecting a buggy. Was there a buggy at the other end? Yep, it was. And then the buggy took them from there through the airport down to passport control. At this stage, I'm gone ahead now to the baggage hall myself. Okay. And I'm in, in the baggage hall waiting to collect our bags. And the next thing is I see my mother struggling through the airport to come up to me. And she came up and I said, sit down and wait there. I said, what happened? And she said, when we got to passport control, we were told to get off the buggy, walk through, and the buggy would be at the other side to take them through to the exit. Right. And there was no buggy. So it, it was fine in her case because she had an able-bodied person with her who was able to get the bags and get her out of the airport. But others were really struggling. And I, I couldn't stay around at that point because we were so late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our taxi was already w- w- well over an hour waiting for us. I see. I think you contacted Aer Lingus because you just weren't happy with this. I called Aer Lingus on Tuesday. I went on Twitter to contact them. I went on Messenger and I went on WhatsApp. And they have a business line that's for contacting on all of these mediums. And despite going back and forth and them saying, oh, yes, we're transferring you to an agent, 35 hours later, nothing. All you get is a link to where you make a formal complaint. Mm-hmm. Did you so do I that? A, I did. I made a formal complaint on the 14th of September. I have repeatedly followed up with their WhatsApp and their Messenger and their Twitter. Mm. And they have the same thing keeps on coming. I get an occasional, we apologise, we know you're dissatisfied. Please use this thing to make a formal complaint. Mm. I've already done that. And I got the automatic response on September 14th to say your, your case number is X and we'll be in contact with you. Just one question arises mm-hmm. for me, Catherine, is are you sure that because this happened in Malaga, it was the responsibility of Aer Lingus or was it not a ground handler company that, that should have sorted this? Possibly, except that my contract is with Aer Lingus okay. and it's up to Aer Lingus 
to organise it with the airport at the other end. Because when you book assisted travel, you're booking your airline ticket and you book assisted travel, you specify whether you need full wheelchair or whether you can walk some small distances. Okay. And so, so Aer Lingus then become aware of that. So you've made your arrangements with, with Aer Lingus and paid your money to Aer Lingus and you feel you've a right to expect that Aer Lingus will sort everything out from the moment you arrive in Cork Airport to the moment you leave Malaga Airport. Yes. Have they come back to you yet? No, 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 no. Even today I've sent another follow-up and I've said I am still waiting to hear from you. Nothing comes back. When you go to contact them, they keep on asking for all your flight reference, your passport number, what credit card you booked with. There's a whole load of those, plus a brief explanation. So you fill all that out and then they say we're transferring you to an agent and nothing happens. You also wanted to make the point while you're with me that this flight, this quarter past seven flight, seems to be almost constantly delayed and you're wondering if Aer Lingus should not be reviewing that slot. It shouldn't be delayed all the time. And I watched it for the whole week and it was delayed every day. So, so far, no response to any of your questions? No, no, nothing at all. Uh, just appalling. And I've told them and I've put it everywhere and I've tried to share it through Facebook to try and A, get the message out because if people are travelling wheelchair assistance on that flight, they absolutely need to make sure there's someone to help them. Yeah. And, and also to expect their lingers to actually look at the schedule and see if maybe they have a problem on that schedule. Might I ask, Katrin, are you still in Malaga or have you come back? No, I'm still in Malaga. Okay, because I was going to ask if everything had been okay on the way home. Are you you there for long? Well, I am, but I I won't be going back with uh, the sister travel. I'll be going back on my own. Uh And when is your mum coming back? Uh, She's not. She lives in Spain. Oh, very good. Nice. You're you're gone out for the winter. Go on, admit it. (laughs) I wish it. I I wish it. I'll be back home in about 10 days. (laughs) Catherine, we'll see what comes back from the airport, from Aer Lingus, Anybody else who might have this kind of experience, but certainly you would think that they'd have had a better response to you uh, all these days later. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much, and I hope this gets out to people so they are made aware of it. Cheers, cheers Catherine. And look, if you do hear back from them, will you let me know? Because <laughs> that's the frustrating part. You you want to complain to an airline or a bus company or a train company and you make your complaint and you get a form sent out and you fill in the form and you might as well be filling the form out in Greek for all the uh, attention that it gets. Thank you, 0818 96 96 96. A reminder that on the tax for the diesel and the petrol, caller reminds me that one of the reasons the sums are so staggering, PJ, is the VAT is put on the price with excise. So it's a tax on a tax. You're correct. So first of all, the litre of petrol is priced, then the excise duty is put on it, and then the VAT is put on the whole lot. So you're actually paying double taxation. You're paying excise, and then you're paying VAT on the excise. But forgotten that. Thanks. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. See this thing in the paper. And look, with regard to the cashless society that we've discussed many times, see a piece in The Independent where higher fees are now being paid by businesses using credit and debit card systems. So if you go card only in your business, you'd be paying higher bank fees. 
Like, what's that about? At a time when we keep saying we'd love to have the choice to use cash, so many businesses now gone less using less cash. And here's a here's a um an an interchange fee. It's a fee they pay for processing transactions. And I'm reading in the paper today that those interchange fees have gone up by over a hundred and thirty percent. When you use your card to buy something, there's the buyer, the buyer's bank, the retailer, and the retailer's bank. And every time that someone goes from bank to bank to bank to bank to bank, there's a small fee. That's called the interchange fee. Um, so the more cashless businesses that are out there, the more it's costing the businesses to operate cashlessly. 0818-96-96-96. I see as well where um, there's a survey done. Price Waterhouse Cooper have done a survey um, kind of looking at changes. They, they, they do this all the time. They do it a few times a year. It's the uh, Price Waterhouse Cooper Insolvency Barometer. It looks at how business is doing in the context of how the how the country is. So obviously they looked at pre-pandemic, post-pandemic business failures, etc., etc., etc. Well, one thing that they've noticed in their latest survey is that working from home is affecting offices and affecting city centre pubs and cafes and restaurants. Why? Because if you're working at home, then you're not in town to spend the couple of bob on the coffee and the sandwich at lunchtime. And if there's enough of us not in town, not there to spend the couple of bob on the coffee and the sandwich at lunchtime, then that's a lot of money being taken out of the system. So I won't say they're concerned about it. They're just pointing it out that with more people working from home, and I don't know if you're working from home this morning, good morning to you. Um, If you're working from home, you're not spending your money in town and it's causing problems for businesses that depend on daily sales or daily daily sales. That's a, that's an interesting one in, in the in the papers today. Another one that's there. I was reading this over the weekend. They've changed what they call the book of quantum. Uh, what's that, PJ? The book of quantum. When you take a claim against somewhere or somebody for a personal injury or something to happen to you, well. Uh, a book of quantum is like a guidelines for how much you get in terms of uh, compensation. So it goes to the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, PIAB, of which we've talked before, and then PIAB decide, based on the book of quantum, how much a person should get for falling in the toilet, something like that. And that's all been rewritten in the last couple of years. As a result of which... Far more people now are accepting PIAB. But also the number of claims being taken is down by 40%, which is great. Spurious claims, for goodness sake, they're paying in the backside. They're down by over 40%. The problem is that businesses are not seeing this in their insurance bills. And Michael O'Donovan um, from the Castleian pub in, in Cork City, the VFI man, local VFI man, said his insurance premium, despite all this, has gone up again. And he's only ever had one claim on the bar. 
in a hundred years of it being in his family's possession. A hundred years. One business, or one claim against the business. And his insurance has gone up. And they did a survey then. BFI rang around and said to everybody else, look, what's the story with your insurance? They're all going up. So even though the number of claims is coming down, the insurance is still going up. One has to ask, what's going on there? Same's going on with car insurance. The number of, again, PIAB, this Personal Injury Assessment Board, and this new book of quantum that tells people how much they're going to get, that has caused a reduction in claims and a reduction in payouts because the PIAB is always more conservative, as it were. But still, your car insurance is going up. So they, they were telling us it was all about the, the weight of claims that was pushing up the cost of insurance. But no, <laughs> whatever the hell it is, isn't that. Because claims are down by 40%. So why are our bills still going up? Isn't this one of the great mysteries of mankind, or at least of our life? 0818-96-96-96 Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-96-
premium and then over the over the last number of years we've seen uh, increases obviously covid we were closed 2020 2021 so uh, we had to just keep our building insured but the public liability side of it um to be fair with the new judicial guidelines which has re- replaced the book of quantum we've seen public liability uh, slightly reduced but what happened to me this year was the uh, cost of reinsuring my building uh, had gone up because, mm-hmm. God forbid, if anything happened to the building, um, you have to replace it, and the costs of replacing it has um, has gone up vastly. So uh, I saw a, a jump in my building's um, uh, premium, which gave me a slight increase again this year. And then um, we keep hearing from you know the minister that she's doing work, and uh, Je- Jennifer McNeil, um, uh, and that uh, premiums are coming down, but. Uh, from our survey, we've found that it's a very, very small percentage of people mm-hmm. have had a, a reduction. Uh, the vast majority of our members are seeing um, it's slight increases, but it still increases uh, year on year um, of their premiums. And look, from what you said earlier, we know from the PIAB figures, you know, from 2016 to 2022, the number of claims going into them has been down 46%. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, um, I suppose the the payouts on public liability payouts uh, in PIAB um, in 2022 compared to 2020 uh, and 2019 2020 are down 36%. Yeah. But yeah, we're not seeing any um, any reductions on premiums on the ground, which is uh, which is frustrating. You know, at the moment with the cost of doing business so high, this is one that we feel that um, somebody's you know making money somewhere, and unfortunately, we're the ones that are paying for it. We've been constantly told that public liability was high because of a huge number of claims. And yet here we can see now in black and white that the number of claims is down by, like you say, well over a third. And yet, but would you, was it kind of a swings and roundabouts? You said your public liability was down a bit, but your billing insurance was, was gone up. Yeah, so you you get uh, when you get your breakdown, your premium, one piece is coming down, but the other piece is going up, ending out in a net. Increase. They never slightly. lose, do they, Michael? Um, um, no, unfortunately, they've. It's it's uh, it's just one of those one of those scenarios. Hopefully, if we see uh, the costs of building materials and building products come down, that we will see a, a reduction. But as of yet, uh, it's yet to materialise uh, from our members this year because lots of people have been in the same boat as what I've just outlined there, mm. and some have some have. Um, have have seen no reduction in their public liability part of it, even though, as I've said, from the figures that we know from PIAB, from the Personal Industries Assessment Board, mm. uh, things have been coming down over the last 18 months and, and falling, you know, the, the number of claims really and the spurious claims, you know, it's great to see them yeah. uh, re- reducing. Yeah, because when they did take that old book of quantum, as it was called, and, and tore it up and had a new way of approaching things, it, it brought changes overnight because people have to stand over their claims. Yeah, and I suppose this year there's been a second piece to that. Uh, uh, the duty of care has been recently reformed as well. So there's an onus of care now as well. Yes, on the policyholder, but also on the person, you know, that has a, uh, maybe an accident or mm. um, a fall or something. There is a there is an onus of care put on them now mm. as well. Um, so it's, you know, things um, should be. Um, you know, balancing up and we should be seeing reductions because of all these pieces put in place but mm-hmm. as of yet uh, we haven't seen those reductions. What was your premium or your latest claim quote for a premium? 
Uh, well, I renewed uh, last March, and like we're we're the Castellina is a small bar in the middle of the city. It was eight thousand eight hundred we paid for our insurance for the year. Wow! And like that's a substantial amount for a small premises. Um, but look, you you can't open the door, especially in in our business, without having you know your public liability and having your insurance mm. in place. It's just it, it's just impossible to trade without having insurance in place. And we're told every year. Um, by financial commentators and columnists, for goodness sake, when your insurance comes up for renewal, shop around. And we try it with our car insurance, and we try it. With, can you do it with your insurance on the bar? Can you shop around? It's it's very hard to shop around in in any hospitality uh, setting because there's over the last number of years um, there's been a lot of the insurance industry leaving the hospitality industry. Um, I'm insured with Alliance, and look, they've been good to us when we had the claim. They looked after us very well, um, and, you know, they represented us, and we went through it, and we went to court. Um, but, you know, I suppose there's there's far and few insurers, providers, providing cover for hospitality over the last number of years. Hopefully, if they see uh, what's been put in place by the minister, you know, the, the, the judicial guidelines, the recent reform duty of care, in years to come, we might see more come back into the Irish market. But at mm. the present, it's down really to FBD, Allianz and one or two more. Uh, brokers are getting cover um, in Lloyds in London through a couple of companies, but there's a lot of paperwork involved in switching yeah. uh, provider in the hospitality industry. And sometimes they're looking for electrical certificates. They're looking for all kinds of certificates. So by the time you actually change provider and get all the all the certificates that are needed um, year on year, sometimes whatever savings you make may actually be eroded from all the costs that you have to change. So some people stay with the provider that they have. Yeah, and some of the providers know that too, of course, and they they rack it up to suit themselves. Just something, another survey I was reading there this morning, I mentioned it a while ago, Michael, this is the PricewaterhouseCoopers' latest look at the economy and businesses and insolvencies and all that. And they, they find that the number of people still working from home part or full time is affecting takings in pubs. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Look, um, I suppose the busiest day that we used to have in the city centre um, for after work drinks, as I'll call it, was a Friday evening. Mm. Now, uh, we open at four o'clock on a Friday. I go into town around three o'clock. I can park my car anywhere around the courthouse uh, on the streets there. If I went back to 2018 and 2019, if I managed to get a space anywhere in that vicinity, I'd buy a lotto ticket. And that just shows the, the amount of people that are, are not in the city on a Friday. And it's it's ironic, Monday is another day that you can drive into the city centre and you'll find parking, uh, I won't say easy, but it, it's easier. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's difficult to find on-street parking because they're the days people are in. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know. The, it seems to be a pattern for people who are hybrid working, as in doing half at home and half in the office. It seems to be that Monday and or Friday are the days that they're spending at home. Yeah, they're the day, and they were the days. Say that they would socialise. You know, a Monday they'd go out, talk about the match, talk about being away for the weekend, talk about you know what happened over the weekend, um, and on a Friday it was you know celebrate that it was the start of the weekend. Yeah. They were the two days that were socialising. 
um, after work. They're the two days that there's the the least amount of people in yeah. the office uh, in the city centre. And look, we see it. You know, look at the cafes at lunchtime. Um, there's there's very seldom you'll see queues around. You know, yes. um, and talking to lots of colleagues. You know, the that's why a lot of places, I suppose, aren't opening until later in the evening. Uh, restaurants and things it's just because the the footfall in the city for offices mm. while look, it has improved uh in the last you know i suppose six nine months but it's still uh it's still nowhere near what it was pre-covid levels yeah that couple of hours on a friday evening sort of half five to half seven that just be a happy hunting ground for a lot of pubs when people would go straight from the office have the couple of scoops and then get the bus home or get a taxi home or something but working from home yeah. has kind of put a big dent in that yeah, it was the kickstart to the weekend. And, you know, if you got off to a good start, half four to half seven on a Friday, you know, it it, uh, it, it shortened the weekend for you. But no, unfortunately, that's not that's not happening at present. All right. Michael, thank you. Um, Michael Donovan from the Castle Inn. So that verifies what Bryce Waterhouse Cooper were saying in the paper this morning. That the amount of people working from home or hybrid working is affecting turnover in city centre pubs and cafes and restaurants and also uh, the insurance that they've tightened up now they've tightened up the system to avoid fake claims and to kind of clamp down on compo culture but they'll always find a way the companies the insurance companies will always find a way 0818 96, 96, 96. I'm Patrick Keelty. I'll talk about this in, in a little while because I think one of our listeners was at the show on on Friday. Um, I I have to say, I'm enjoying Mr. Keelty. He's, he's trying to put his own stamp on it. And I mean, I think, I think in the long term, he will work out to have been a good choice. John makes the point that his big test will come with the toy show. How will he handle that? I would say he is already losing sleep about the toy show, John. I really am. I think he is definitely losing sleep already about the toy show, which is due. I think the I think the toy show will probably be around the 24th of November. So he's got time enough yet to bed in. But back to that in a while. 0818 in the Arches Mallow Marquee on Friday the 13th of October. Cash returns. Johnny Cash and June Carter live tribute show starts at 8.30pm. It's a strictly over 18s event and tickets are available in the Arches. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This has come in um, and I want to put it out there. We might talk about it during the week. Um, Old people living alone. Hi PJ listening to you here, I always do. What about elderly parents living alone who never get a visit from family, even though they only live minutes away? Shame on them. That's a short message, but it's a big talking point. Happy to return to it if you've got any thoughts. 0818 96 96 96. Now, it's been 
an all-girls school for nearly 60 years. But Presentation Secondary School, Balefahan, has become, or will become, co-ed from next September. From September of 2024, boys will be welcome at the Presentation Secondary School in Ballyvalan, or Ballyfihan, rather, Ballyfihan. It's a big change, a very big change. The principal there is Barry O'Shea, and he joins me now. Morning, Barry. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. A big decision for, for a school with a big history. A, a, a very, very big decision, but one that we're delighted to take and we're really excited by. Um, as you know, we, we've been established in Ballyfihan for almost 60 years, and part of our ethos as a school is to ensure that we meet the needs of our local community, um, so we undertook a, a consultative process where we where we took the opinions of all of the parents, pupils, future schools, potential parents. And as a result of the feedback from that consultation, uh, we've decided to open our doors in September 2024 to boys. And we're delighted to say that. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity. In leading up to that consultation, what led to it? Who first came up with the idea in the staff room, should we take in boys? I suppose it's, it's a question that we've been, we've been asking ourselves for, for, for quite a while. As you know, we're a very successful school with very, very high academic standards. But at our core is a responsibility to meet the needs of local people. And like we became aware over a very long period of time that parents were seeking this option, the option to go Kuwait. And it's for that reason, principally, that we've decided to, to, to make our decision to open a school to boys. Parents were seeking the option. Why, why was it? Because there was nowhere to send their boys or they thought in a modern world, maybe boys and girls should be educated together. Which was it? I, I suppose we, we can only speak for, for Prez Balfi. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and like in, in a modern world, you know, it's important that parents have choice and options. But for us, certainly, and for our parents, I, I think they, they were looking for that opportunity. It meant that siblings could be could be taught together. You know, they mm. wouldn't be separated, and it meant that you know they were you know we could we we were really altering the structure of the school to match the structure of society outside the school gates. Will it make a difference in terms of syllabus and curriculum choice? Um, we're constantly revising our syllabus to meet the needs of our students and, and the wider community. So there's, there's ongoing syllabus review. And we already have a very robust and wide-ranging uh, syllabus in place. But we, we, we may look at options and look at what is desirable, look at what our students want and, and what our parents want, and adjust our syllabus accordingly. But as you know, we have already uh, you know, a very strong academic tradition. Over 80% of our students progress on to university a very strong cultural tradition, particularly in the area of visual arts and performing arts, you know, or choirs performed before presidents and royalty. And, you know, we also have a very strong sporting tradition. In fact, we are one of the few schools locally to offer PE as an exam subject at Leaving Cert. Many of our students go on actually and, and train to be PE teachers themselves. Okay. Let me bring in at this point Jerry McGill from Kesht. Kesht is Catholic Education and Irish School Trust. The patronage of uh, Presentation Secondary School is under Kesht. New one on me, Jerry McGill. Kesht, tell me a bit about it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks very much for having us on. Um, Kesht, as you said, Catholic Education and Irish Schools Trust is a trust body set up in 2007. Uh, we uh, oversee the 106 uh, post-primary Catholic schools in Ireland. We took over our role from a number of religious congregations. In the case of Presentation Valley Fahan, it would have been from the Presentation Sisters. Mm-hmm. So 
we basically took over their role and the responsibilities that they have uh, in supporting the schools and supporting Barry and his senior leadership team and the board of management, uh, particularly in the area of ethos and characteristic spirit, uh, but also uh, with oversight in areas like finance and governance and property matters. Mm. Now, the North Pres uh, on this side of the river um, has been welcoming girls and boys since since last month, since, since September. That, that's correct. And they've actually gone through a name change. They're in a nanonagel college. Yeah. Some people would cling to the old tradition of boys going to boys' schools and girls going to girls' schools. That tradition is changing now. It is, and what the consultation process that Barry uh, that Barry referred to earlier on was a very, very wide-ranging consultation process. It involved uh, consulting with the parents of the students in Presentation Secondary School, uh, the Board of Management, the students in the school, but it also involved the parents of uh, of children in the local primary schools. And the response from the parents, particularly in the primary schools, would be overwhelmingly in favour of co-education because the vast majority of primary school children are educated on a co-educational basis and parents want that to continue into post-primary. What do they see as the benefits of co-education? Well, I suppose Barry referred to it there. It, you know, it's possibly a more natural way of doing it, but it's not, it's not for everybody either. Uh, and in past, we would have a, a large number of, of single-sex schools and we have a, a large number of co-educational schools. And it really comes down, PJ, to parental choice. If parents want to continue with single-sex education, that choice should be available to them. But if they want co-education, then that choice should be available to them as well. And I think what has happened over recent times is the curriculum that a school offers, uh, traditionally you would have had the boys' school, of which we would do construction studies and woodwork and tech graphics. Yeah. And Schools would do home economics. That's no longer the case. All schools, be they single-sex schools or um, uh, co-education schools, should be offering a wide range of curriculum, regardless of mm. you know, regardless of the cohort. So, technographics, construction study should be available in whatever setting, as home economics should be to boys. Indeed, indeed. And when I think back to my own schooling, I'd have loved. To, to do home economics because when I came out of school I hadn't a clue so I, I, I think to be fair yeah come back to you lastly Barry br- briefly you have an open day or an open evening rather Wednesday next Wednesday next October the 4th starting at uh, 6.30 uh, so all are welcome and uh, we're very excited to present our school as a co-educational school so come along and meet the teachers and the students who are who are who are members of our school community and see what Pres Belfian is all about. Best of luck to you with that transformation thank and thank you both. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you, Barry O'Shea. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, PJ. Cheers, lads. Um, good luck with that. Uh, over the next few months, preparing for September 2024 to Barry O'Shea and everyone at Presentation Secondary School. That meeting Wednesday evening, half six to half eight. It's also been announced. That St. Patrick's College, around the corner from us here, uh, Gardner's Hill, they also plan to become co-ed from next year. They'll be taking boys into first year. And, of course, the North Pres is already taking in both girls and boys and changed now to Nanonagel College. How do you feel about that? Is it inevitable that pretty much all schools will go co-ed over the years to come? I don't know. I don't know about smallies. Do a lot of the smallies already go to a mixed school? Um, do they? I don't know. It's a long time since there were smallies in my house. Is it better for them? Is there? I can remember. You know, when I grew up, boys went to boys' schools and girls went to girls' schools. 
co-ed was a very, very rare thing. I remember there was only ever one co-ed school that I can remember of. That was Ashton, Ashton School. But it was a. But now, co-ed seems to be the way forward. I mean, is it better? Is it? I mean, I can remember going through school and really having hadn't come out of school, hadn't the first clue how to talk to a girl. That's, and that's an honest to God's truth. And I imagine if there had been girls in my class, I might have learned that. But you know, I don't know, primary, secondary, mixed, or, or the, are, are the old traditions better? Like, is it a case, and I don't know what the experts say about this, is it a case that boys do better academically in a boys-only school than the same with girls? Is, is that the case? I don't know. Is that what the expert or the experts tell us? What do you think? Uh, if you've smallies now starting into the school system, have just maybe started into the school system, are there are there new schools mixed? Would you deliberately choose? I mean, I know educate together is mixed, but what about other schools? If would you like all schools to be mixed, or are you totally opposed? to mixed schools. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Mixed schools. More and more of our secondaries now touring to be mixed. We heard there from the South presentation. Presentation Secondary School, Balifahan. Going mixed, going co-ed from September 24. Also the uh, up in Gardner's Hill. St. Patrick's will go co-ed from September 24 and the North Pres already gone uh, co-ed and of course all the educate together schools are are co-ed from the start Patricia should is, is that the way we're going good morning good morning PJ I think it's the way we're going but um, I had two sons that I sent to all boys schools two girls that went to all girls schools and a son who went to a co-ed school and I don't think it done him any favours in what way? I think the boys were more focused. Now, don't get me wrong. He done. Uh, he went to college and everything, but I just think that it was just different. I think the boys were more focused, and the girls were certainly more focused than he would have been. Mm. Yeah. Now I'd be a same vintage as yourself, to be honest. So my children are in their twenties and thirties, mm. and. Um, I don't know. It's just my take on it. Probably, I wouldn't, I'd be a very broad-minded person, PJ, to be honest, but I just don't think it did them, uh, they don't think it done him any favours at all. If you were to ask them, as in speak to them yourself and ask them what they thought, what would they say to you, do you think? I would think my two older boys would think that where they went, they made invaluable connections and they're... Um, uh, we think it was great. I think my girls would tell you the same thing, as in I have a uh, granddaughter going to... I have two granddaughters actually going to secondary school next year. Mm-hmm. And one of my sons would have just, you know, in conversation, would have had, what would you think? I know one of my granddaughters is going to a co-ed, and the other girl is going to go to another girl's school. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, primary I'm, schools, all the primary schools were mixed, PJ, as were my own children. Right. And, and, and do you think that's OK, mixed primary? I think it's all right. I just think secondary is different, PJ. Yeah. 
Yeah. I can remember I, my own time coming out of secondary school. I went to Creestree and coming out of Creestree and yeah, we had we would meet we'd meet girls at the Kaylees on a Saturday night or mm-hmm. like that. But I, I do remember Patricia coming out of school and going into college and really not having a clue how to kick off a conversation with I know PG done okay. You done okay with the Queen Bee. So I, I, eventually, yeah, but she she started talking to I I really did I of course I did. But I, I, I would I felt awkward when I went into college and there's a mixed scenario. And I, I found it difficult to strike up conversations with my female classmate. <laughs> no, I got into it after a while, but but yeah. I felt a bit ill equipped for the world when I hadn't spent my days around females throughout my education and I look back on it now. No, I, I know, and I definitely, definitely my girls done way better in an all-girls school. Right. Without a shadow. Without a shadow you mean academically? Without, academically and uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Okay. okay. I put my wage, I would put my month's salary on it. They done so much better that they wouldn't have had done in a mixed I must. I must look up what the academic, what the professionals mm-hmm. actually say about the quality. How, but there must be some way you can look at how kids perform academically coming out of single sex schools and coming out of, of mixed schools. There must be a way to compare them. Patricia, thank you for your call. Thank you, Tim. Cheers. Have a good day, Frank. Morning, PJ. How are Bye-bye. you? Not bad yourself. All you think they should be all co-ed? I do at this stage, James. I'd say, even more importantly, all non-denominational. Right. Well, the non-denominational thing is, is that's that's a separate discussion. I'll get to it in a minute. But why why all co-ed? Because I think that they mix... No, I think I do agree that back in our day, I think it would have been probably a total distraction. And uh, I'd, as you just said, Dono, I'd love to see the stats for the schools. Is it... The danger being, is, is it for a 14, 15, 16-year-old by our girl... Is it too much distraction to get on with the results or what you're supposed to be doing? But I don't think it is. Mm. I think I think they'd mature probably faster. That's the thing. I would have thought it would be less of a novelty if I they're think, around if they're every used day. To it. Exactly. If they're used to it, yeah. Because, I mean, in, back, in, back, in, back in our day, I mean, even primary school was kind of boys and girls separate. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, in the man, Christy, I think was the same. But then, I mean, as my kids grew up, the secondary school was collaged on Fairshig, and seemingly they had some of the, have had over the decades some of the top results, and they've always been quiet. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm. Um, have, have you youngsters yourself? Sorry? Have you kids yourself? I are growing up now, but... Um, yeah, did you send them to... Oh, did, yeah, at secondary school, yeah. They were collaged on Fairshig, which was quiet. Yeah. And... You know, it didn't seem to be any problems, really. Like, mm. I mean, and their their results are phenomenal. Like, yeah, in yeah. the whole country, like you know. But I mean, I suppose when you think of us, I was a man boy, and mm. you'd been you'd been since across the road and not press around the corner, because there was an awful lot of mixing. Yeah. So I don't see why why shouldn't they be sitting together in school? And I do think, yeah, it can be. It could be a distraction, but if you're used to it from the age of twelve. Mm. Well, you see, with so many kids now, Frank going to educate together primary schools, they're used to it from from smallies. Four four and five, yeah. I mean, and the same with even before that, no, at this stage. 
I don't think there's any difference. And I think the way some of the world is going, no, it's... You, you, you'd, you'd want to board a hundred different schools if you wanted careful, to get for everybody. Careful, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> careful, no, Frank. <laughs> we won't, we won't, I don't want to be a hashtag. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Come on, have a good, have a good week. Good luck. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 0818969696. No, I don't want to be a hashtag. Not on a Monday, anyway. Stanley, how are you, sir? How you doing, PJ? How's the form? How you doing, my man? Use some thoughts on, on co-ed? Yeah, well, the first thing I need to say is that, that was Alex was the last caller, was it? The thought of going to 100 schools, it's right the right thought of anybody. Um, yeah, just on the COVID thing, I, I mean, you, as you probably know, I did mixed experience. I was, went to school in England when I was 11, and they were mixed schools. Yeah. And then when I came back to live here in England, um, my two sisters and myself, my brother went to two separate schools. We went to Sullivan's Key, and I went to Tolper, and then we went to Cree Street and uh, Sacred Heart. And um, no, what, what, what my, one of my sisters is a twin, so that would be called that really difficult. Um, yeah. But I think I think the thing is for me, the um, I was I was fascinated as a teenager watching my friends, um, my male friends, behaving around uh, girls, because having been to a mixed school, that really wasn't an issue for me or my brother, you know. And I just thought that was really interesting. And the other thing is the, the previous the last call, the caller before. I mean, I get what she's saying about academically, but there's more to um, education than the academics of it, as we as we all know. I mean, obviously, we're trying to educate people for jobs, but we're trying to educate people how to live in the world as well. And I I found the experience of being in mixed schools really good for me mm. in the long run. And my two sisters and my brother would agree with that. We've actually spoken about it at length, um, that it was just easier for us to deal with um, the opposite sex in, in settings outside of school having been in mixed schools, you know? That's exactly what I felt, Stanley, and as you know, I went to Cree Street as well, and I yeah. thought coming out of Cree Street, going into UCC, <laughs> I felt, no, it, it passed, it passed, and I and I did fine, but, but I felt awkward. Yeah, and that's the word I would use for a lot of my friends around girls as teenagers when we were hanging around and talk or going to, you know, local discos out in Highfield and that kind of thing. They were just really awkward around them. Now, I was a little bit awkward around them as well because you get at that age, that's part of the gig thing to change. But it was fascinating to watch how really awkward some, some boys were around girls. Now, obviously, I can't talk about girls to boys because they have their own conversations, but it was very striking for me. Yeah. And the other thing that was really striking for me is much later in life, I think we came out of Creek Street in 82, was it? 81, 82? Yeah, around that time, yeah. Yeah. So in the mid-90s, uh, I'd been in the naval service about 10 years at that stage, and they introduced women to the naval service at that time. And there was a lot of guys there, particularly guys that were a little bit older than me, who had, you know, at that point, worked in a male-dominated environment all their life, had been to all-boys schools. You know, some of them might have had a sister, um, but you know, their interaction with, with women was minimal up to that point. And I, when I say some of them really struggled with the adjustment, they really struggled with each other. Yeah, yeah. They okay. really struggled. Yeah, yeah. Stan, I'll leave you there. You're going to sort that dog out. I know that you did something lovely for a listener of ours over the summer, and we need to set it up. And we had a beautiful thought, just a moment here during the summer, where, was it, um, Sophie, one of our regular listeners and callers, summed up Cork in a sentence and Stanley went and did something on the back of that and we're going to have to make it happen sometime soon Stanley now thank you very much for that yeah, we did go to school together I'm almost afraid to remember how long ago it was thanks Stan 0818 96 96 96 on the voice note machine where is Tig? Hey, 
My daughter, three years of age, has just started early learning school, which is co-ed. And after two years of that, she's then going to go on to Belgooley National School, which is co-ed. I think it's very important for girls to mix with boys. Um, a, just so they can see, first and foremost, that they're just as capable of doing anything, the same as boys are able to do. Um, also, I'm in my 50s, I went to a all-boys boarding school, but at fourth year, they then allowed girls into the school, uh, first years and second years. And, and I think I benefit from that. That's definitely, I think it's a great idea. All right. Thank you, Tyg. Uh, voice note oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. It just it, it, do you know what it is? It's it's the world is changing. When I was going to school, it was all boys, and the girls were down the road. We went to the the boys from Christry and the girls from Sacred Heart, and we would meet at Kaylee's and discos and that. And then there'd be the girls over in Bellevue School. You know, you meet them too. Um, but I, I do remember that very clearly when I finished with, with, with school and went off to college and was introduced to, you know, there, was, there was women sitting next to me in class. They were my peers, of course they were. But it took me a long time to not be awkward around them. Um, actually, it was a, I won't go into the story, it, would take too long. it was a female classmate uh, was the first person to ever throw the moniker PJ on me. Because whether you know it or not, I wasn't christened this. Um, but it was a female classmate from Limerick, a girl called Danielle, of whom I was very fond. And there were two people, three people actually, with the same name, in a very small group of people who used to go to the one physics laboratory class on a Thursday. And she was dating one of the other guys. So she was working with me on physics uh, practical experiments and she was dating the other guys. So every time the name was called out, three heads went up. So she just looked at my uh, names and she said, right, you're PJ from here on in. I bloody hated it. I wonder what ever happened to her. 0818 96. I think she married the other guy. 0818 96, 96, 96. Now, I think this young man is doing rather well as Gayborn himself might say. All right, now, ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome a man from Zondrum County Down. Let's have a welcome from Patrick Keelty. But I think is a lovely touch using Gabo as the introduction for the new start of the Late Late Show. Annette, you were there in the audience on Friday. Well, now, tell me. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm great. Did you I enjoy yourself? Indeed. I had. Uh, I did. Yes. There's such a buzz, and especially as you mentioned there, you know, when he when it's Gay Byrne himself introducing him, and um, you know, th- there's just that little, there's a little tap of nostalgia that hits you when you hear Gay Byrne, and then you know, uh, Patrick Kilty uh, appears in literally in front of you, you mm. know. And because um, it, it was his first big so television funny. interview, was with Gabo. I thought it was a lovely touch well, when they brought it back. I think it's a lovely touch as well. I love it. I love hearing Gay's uh, voice, and I think Patrick Kilty likes it as well. I think it gives him a bit of a buzz, a bit of a boost as well. Mm. You know, to hear Gabo introducing him, and of course now he's, 
you know, presenting the show that Gabo himself started. So, yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a great buzz. And the buzz in the audience is amazing as is well. It? Just as, you know, as he's coming out. Yeah, mm. it's brilliant. Does he come out beforehand uh, and do any warm-up himself? He does. Now, he doesn't do, well, I wouldn't say he does a warm-up. He just basically comes out, has a quick chat with, you know, the, the audience in general. Um, but you can see he's still very nervous. You know, mm. he's still very nervous. Of course, it's such a huge show. And, you know, it's a huge responsibility to, to be doing it live. Um, but he does. He comes out for a little chat and then he's like, right, I'm going to go there. Next time you see me, I'll be over there. And he points to where the curtains are and he just says, everybody, enjoy. Have a great time. See you in a while. And he's gone off then, you know. You said he seems and, to be nervous. Um, yes. Yes, you can see him, like, you know, before the cameras go on him, you know, before it's live, you can see him kind of, you know, not jittery, but, you know, just kind of, I suppose, suppose psyching himself up, you know. Mm. He's kind of clenching his fist and he's taking a couple of breaths and that, you know, just trying to get himself psyched up for the the, the live, as soon as it goes live, you know. Mm. Did, um, did, he's got did, the most did. mischievous smile. Smile, yeah. so he does. It really does. And I think he's. There I, is a mischievous He makes there. me laugh, Annette. I, I just think the way he, he addresses people, and I think he's funny. Mm. Mm. I agree. Like uh, the other night, now you know he did. Uh, Nina Carberry was there, and she brought in the the I horse that she uses that. to train. I saw that, that was absolutely hilarious. And Cormac, my son, was sitting beside me. We were right on the front row. Um, so right over at the edge near the band, so on the front row. Mm. And uh, so when the camera woman was trying to get the shot of uh, Patrick up on it, up on the horse um, from the back, she was practically sitting in Cormac's lap at this stage trying to get that shot. You know, she was she was literally bent down and Cormac's knees were just touching off her. And um, But he was so funny during that because he just kept throwing these looks to the audience as if to say like, Am I really doing this? Is this what my job is? You know. Now he was loving it. Yeah, he was loving it at the same time. And he came out uh, before you saw it on telly. He came out um, obviously dressed as the as a jockey uh, with the hat and the the colours and all that. And I'm the audience were in stitches. He said nothing. You know, he's got that type of. I suppose it's a comedic thing, you know, when mm. they're a stand-up comedian. He's just got this type of thing where he just looks around and you're in just the face and you mm. just can't help. But So he came out and he just stood there and he was like, yeah, go on, go on, just laugh. Just <laughs> laugh. I know, I look ridiculous. He, he you can know? make you laugh uh, with his eyes, which is a very... Yeah, that's it, exactly. He just looks around, kind of a self-depreciating look around and say, look at the state of me about to go live. <laughs> yeah, I must say, you know? that's where I tuned in on Friday night. Right. I, and, and I was looking, <laughs> and what is this? And then he's looking down the camera <laughs> as if, and I know he's saying, is this the contract I signed? <laughs> He is loving it, though. You, he's nervous, but he's loving it. He yeah. is. He feeds off the audience's energy, definitely, you know. And obviously, you know, doing the interviews and stuff, he's still he's still finding his flow. It'll take a while. I mean, it's a massive job. I wouldn't do it for love nor money. Massive job. He's finding his flow, but he's really, he's so, so good. Yeah. And the nerves are definitely there because right at the end, well, when he was finished, and the cameras were off on that. He walked past me just as he was heading out of the studio and he literally said to himself, and breathe, 
yeah. as he walked past me. And I thought, oh, you crater, you know, the nerves are definitely still there, you know. Yeah. But a great show. And I mean, he's he's just, he's genuinely nice. You get that warmth feel, warm feeling off him. Mm. Um, he's very funny. And, you know, the interviewing process, that's something that's just going to take time, you know, mm. to, to get the flow of an interview. But like the guests the other night were brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed being in the audience. Really did. And of course, we got a lovely audience prizes, which is not what any of us would, would go for. But you know what I mean? An audience prize is an audience prize. Do you know what and, I love? Uh, he seems to be kind of gently ribbing the mickey out of those old traditions as if to say, they're going to oh, continue. I am going to be doing it. Yeah. Come here. And if someone yeah. wants to ask you a, qu- a quick question here, hold on. PJ, I haven't seen sure. a full episode of The Late Late Show now at all, but I was working Friday night and I'm a care assistant in the South Infirmary. So just going to room to room, all the, the patients are kind of intrigued with it but the only thing that got my attention is the backdrop behind him it don't look like a late late show drop would they ever change mm-hmm. that ask that lady you're talking to there they are now in it. the backdrop as well it don't feel like the late late show at all what do you think it's, of that? It's a very kind of, it's a very open looking uh, backdrop isn't it you know like a, a big wide expanse of a view Probably could do with closing it down, you know, if you if you get what I mean, and making it look a little bit cosier. Mm. I think like maybe, you know, a library looking, you know, or a backdrop of, um, I don't know, just a cosy scene would definitely change it. And I think he also slightly needs to change the position of his desk because he is he's cut off. A bit mm. from he's the looking guests, straight you know, out as and his guests are, yeah, yeah. He is, yeah, he is. Now, is that a kind of a protecting himself thing, you know, as in having the desk there so that, you know, he can fumble with the cards and, mm. or, you know, glance down and pick up the next point he wants to make? Probably that. I just find the desk is just like this big, huge block in front of him. And it, yeah. you know, and it, it's it's that physical block, but it's also that spiritual block as well. You can see it, you know. I've been, I've been saying in that you've been from everybody else. You've been there now, and I've been saying this. I think in time he will prove to have been an excellent choice. Oh, I think he will as well. Yeah. Uh, like we've we've seen nothing of him yet. No. We've seen like there's so much more to him. I mean, he's got a great buzz. He's very highly thought of. The band that are in the the they, I know they used to be called the Late Late House Band. I don't know what they're called now. They are. A, Absolutely incredible live. Right. They're so good. Very and good. the girl who plays the saxophone, she went out and into the audience and got everybody, you know, getting into the mood and singing and clapping along and everything. They 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 re- they work really hard. They all work work really hard. Producers, everybody, they're fabulous. Well, you really... said we got a lovely audience prize. Yeah. Yeah. What did you get, by the way? <laughs> We got um, a hamper worth 150 euro from Max Benjamin, which I believe is a, a company based in Wicklow. Nice. So, like, you know they're expensive by the smell. Like, the <laughs> smell is just so strong. There was four of us there. So we put the four bags into the back of my friend Bonnie's car. She was driving us. And I'm telling you, I'd say it'll be weeks before the smell's gone out of her car. But that's a good thing. <laughs> Annette, Annette, we can stay talking until tomorrow. I must go. Thank you very much. Was that the Late Late Show on Friday night? And thanks, Patrick Kilty. Was a good choice. There'll be loads more. There'll be loads more. Um, I'd, I'd come back to this and plenty more tomorrow. Uh, this, of course, I mean, who else was it only? Well, it's a bit of both, really. I kind of. Our own Sonia O'Sullivan and our winner today in association with the Menopause 
summit is is Christine O'Donovan from Balavala and we'll have another spectacular woman for you to identify tomorrow. I think that's it. Um, Programme edited by Imre Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We're gone over time. I'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 and-